Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. All right. Got me, Kyle? All right, good deal. All right, so it's great to be back with you all this evening. It's great to see each of you here. Um, Tonight, the uh, subject of our uh, of the message this evening is temptation. Temptation. It's like, wow, Pastor Brian, thanks for uh, the temptation message here. So, um, uh, the uh, sermon title this evening is "Obedience in Temptation." Obedience in temptation. Wow, how are we supposed to be obedient in being tempted by this world? Um, Tonight we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. We're going to be back in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 again next week. But this evening, in this passage, my desire is to reveal to us the areas in our life where we are tempted. It's, it's the same example that Jesus gave us in this passage. And we must be obedient as he was. Uh, we are commanded to obey our Lord in every aspect, in every way in our life, to include during temptation, right? We're commanded to be obedient by our Lord in every way, in every opportunity we have in our life, but that includes during our temptation in this world. So temptation is lurking around every corner at every turn in our life, isn't it? Our flesh what we see in the mirror every morning, gosh, it has to be prettier, skinnier. It's got to be better than this. Sexual desires, that woman or that man, Instagram, Facebook, social media. Look, if you just can't stop being tempted with social media, get off. Get off of it. All right, I didn't have that in my notes, but just do it. Get away from it. You can be a messenger of Jesus Christ without social media. You get that? Pride of life. My life is my own. My life is my own. I will live however I feel is best for me. I want better now. I want better now. This is not enough. There must be more to this life. Our eyes. We covet our neighbor, our neighbor's house, car, clothes, jewelry, TV. Got to have that bigger screen, right, Brad? Got to have that bigger screen. It's got to fill the wall. I'm a poor example for you, brother. I'm sorry. Um, we see another who holds a position, a status that we desire to have to hold that person who has power and authority in this world. We crave it, desperately crave it. This world, though, this world, or no one nor anything in it, this world, no one nor anything in it, should be our example to live this life. Our best life is not now. As Bailey faithfully, faithfully preached this morning, look, so many in this world want their best life now. The problem I have is it appears many in the church live the same way. I want my best life now. It's got to be better now. It's got to be perfect now. 
It's got to be what I want now. Jesus is, and he must be, our example. Jesus, from the very beginning of his earthly life, being fully man on this earth, never failed to obey his Father, not once. In his perfect obedience, he qualified himself to be our high priest. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. We read this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our perfect high priest. All of his days, Jesus kept the commands of God. Particular episodes of his obedience in his life on this earth are especially, especially instructive for us. One of the most important displays of this obedience that we see in Scripture that we should follow, we should look to, is his, his temptation here by Satan. Vitally important for us to follow. Tonight, the Puritan that I'm going to quote from, especially at the end of the message tonight, is John Owen. You've heard of him, very likely. Born in, in 1616, died in 1683. Owen was acclaimed to be the, quote, greatest British theologian of all time. Think about that. Think about all the British theologians that have come and gone in the past. Owen was believed to be the greatest by many. He was summoned to preach before Parliament on several occasions during the Civil War. Owen's merit was recognized by General Fairfax, then by Cromwell, who took him as a chaplain to Ireland and Scotland. But Owen was best known for his writings. It was said, Owen makes you feel when he has reached the end of his subject that he has also exhausted it. And tonight I'm going to quote from his book titled, Searching Our Hearts in Difficult Times. See, the Puritans, as we entered this look at their lives, the example they gave us and their desire for God last week, as we said last week, they're, they're not our example, but we can learn from their example as they pointed to Christ and Christ alone. See, Owen did the same. In every one of his writings, he exhausted every word, every sentence, every paragraph, every page, every chapter, every one of his books to the very nth degree he could to reveal his love for Jesus Christ. So as we enter into our scripture tonight, let me pray because, look, you don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from God concerning this subject. So pray with me. Lord, thank you. Once again, we can open your word that by your grace, through your Holy Spirit, we can understand your word. So I pray to that end, that I not be in the way in any way, that you speak to us, that you pierce our minds, our hearts, give us greater understanding of who you, who you are, that we may love you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, we find Jesus here before his temptation. It's his baptism that we got to experience the sacrament of in Peter this morning. What a wonderful, glorious celebration that was. And here Jesus, in, verse, in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17, 
We read, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and, saw, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, just being baptized, remember being fully man, Jesus and being fully man on this earth desired in every way, in every sense of every way, to reveal to us, his followers, how to be obedient to the Father, how to follow in his way, how to properly desire him, how to properly love him. So Jesus here giving his public baptism before John and the others that were there is revealing this. Be obedient to God and being baptized and revealing your public faith to God. As Peter again revealed to us this morning, his public profession of faith in God and God alone. And here Jesus is about to enter his public ministry. But before he does, before he does, he is tempted. Tempted harshly. Matthew 4, verse 1. God is sovereign over our lives in all ways. In every aspect of our life, God is sovereign. Matthew 4, verse 1, when we read this and we see the temptation of Jesus in his life, we, we may enter some friction here in questioning that. But make no mistake about it, God is sovereign in every way, in every sense, over all of our life. Matthew 4, verse 1, we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit, tempted by the devil. See, God himself is never the agent of temptation. Never the agent of temptation. James tells us this in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. But though God is never the agent of temptation... God absolutely does use satanic forces at times to tempt his people. God does not remove his sovereign rule, reign, and control, though. R.C. Sproul said this, There is not the slightest detail that is overlooked by the gaze of God. Not the slightest detail. Not in this world, not of your life. God controls every particle, every molecule, every dust particle that falls where it falls is directed to do so by the hand of God. Consider Job. Was Job tempted? God used Satan greatly in Job's life. Satan went to God and asked permission, did he not? But God used him. He tempted Job greatly in suffering. Took everything from Job. Consider this, Jesus was tempted in all points. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. Let's look at that quickly. Hebrews 4, verses 6, uh, 4, 15 and 16. We read this. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Tempted in every way that we are, every single way that we are, Jesus Christ, being fully man, was tempted. Lust of the flesh, Matthew 4, verses 2 and 3, we read, And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Fasted for 40 days and nights. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your physical body? Can you imagine your mental aptitude? Moses on Mount Sinai did this. We see that in Deuteronomy 9, Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Physical hunger, mental fatigue. Physical hunter, uh, hunger, mental fatigue. Jesus Christ felt this. He knew this. He experienced this. Physical, mental fatigue, and weakness. It's the perfect formula for the attacks of the devil. Students, your school right now. Listen, thank you so much for being here tonight because I know you've got a boatload of homework. Maybe pouring over the sides of the boat. Jobs. Jobs. You may be a student and you have a job. Moms and dads in the room are jobs. The busyness of life. The things we have to do in this life, our studies, our jobs, everything in this life seeks to rob us of the glory we have in Jesus Christ, of the opportunities we have still yet. In the time we must devote to our schools and our studies, in the times we must devote to our jobs and everything in those, to our families, we still have time to devote to Christ. But, make no mistake, in our physical hunger, in our mental weakness, physical weakness, we are in prone position to be attacked, to be presented with matters of temptation to our flesh. In verse 3, we read the word if. We see the word if. Satan knew, and he knows full well, that Jesus is the Son of God. He knew this, so it may as well say, since you are the Son of God, not if. Look, Satan's desire here was to get Jesus to violate the plan of God and employ the divine power that he, Jesus, had set aside, becoming fully man, yet fully God. Let's look at Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 7. In Paul's writing, we read this. Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant in the likeness of men. Emptied himself, this is the Greek word kenosis, 
And from this, we get the doctrine of Christ's self-emptying in his incarnation. When Jesus Christ put on flesh, self-renunciation, not an emptying himself of his deity, nor an exchange of deity for humanity, but Jesus did, however, set aside eternal riches, didn't he? He left his heavenly, eternal riches to come to this earth to put on flesh for a purpose, to live the perfect life, die the death that each of us deserve, and defeat death on our behalf, that we may live in him now and forever. Jesus did this for us, his church. In becoming fully man, the last and better Adam, Jesus lived the human life, feeling, knowing our struggles, and being fully tempted in every way, in every sense of every way. He was tempted in his human flesh. Next, let's look at verses 8 and 9, the lust of the eyes. Matthew 4, verses 8 and 9, we read, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Lust of the eyes, when peering down on it all, looking down on it all, oh, what a sight. Surely all of this is for greater and more pleasurable to me now if I had all of this now. Have you ever climbed a tall mountain? Pikes Peak in Colorado, having been there, you climb to the top and you look down and you see an expanse of glory, an expanse of the beauty of the creation of God through Jesus Christ. Standing on top of that mountain, though, the sense of pride tends to kick in and think, oh, what if I could stand on a mountain like this and have it all? What if all could be mine? What if I could be as God? See, we think that. We do. Even in our regenerated life in Jesus Christ, we have those feelings at times. We do. This life is mine. I want control. I want to do it my way. In the end, I know what's best for me. I want it all. I want it all to fall at my feet. Why aren't we satisfied? Why aren't we satisfied in Jesus Christ? What is it that gets in our way so often? It seems every day. Why? Why are we not satisfied? What would it take for us to be satisfied in Jesus Christ? He forsook all. He gave all. He put on flesh that we may live. Why aren't we satisfied? What will it take to be satisfied? See, we are blessed with so much, but as Bailey rightfully defined being blessed this morning, it's not in the things we have, 
It's in the giver of such a blessing that it is to be holy, to be set apart. The giver who gives such blessings. We seek so much more. We love the stuff greater than we love Jesus Christ himself. Don't we? Far too often. We love the stuff. We want more stuff. We want the things of this world. We clamor for the things of this world instead of clamoring for, investing in, and seeking with an all-desirous heart our Lord and Savior every day. Listen, God, by his grace, has given us opportunities in this world. He's given us jobs. He's given us classes. He's given you school, jobs, families. Everything he's given us Yes, it is a blessing. It is a blessing, but not to be used to the glory of this world. Consider that. As you do your studies, as you take your classes, as you seek to ace those midterms coming up, in your jobs, as you seek to be the best employee, because rightly so, we should model Christ in all we do. We should seek to excel in all we do, but we must always keep in mind that in everything we do, in everything God has given us to do in this life, it is to his glory, for his glory, that the world may know him. That through the excellence we pursue, that we display to the people of this world and one another, that the excellence I pursue in this world is for the excellency of Jesus Christ and him alone. See, the devil is the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 1 John 5, 19 tell us this, but again, he is under God's control. He is the dog on the end of the leash that God wields around, dictates what he does and will not do. In verse 9, Satan claims to Jesus, I will give you, as if the devil owns it all. I will give it to you. But do we not act at times as though he does? Do we not act at times as though he does own it all? Why would I say that? When our love is set on the things of this world, we act in that manner. Because, see, when we pursue the love of this world and the things of this world, what we're really pursuing is not Christ, but the devil himself, who desires that we do exactly just that. That in everything we find in this world, and everyone we find in this world, that we love those things or those people more than we love Jesus Christ. Husbands and wives, if you love one another more than you love Christ, you are not edifying God in your marriage. Students, if you love your career seeking in your schooling more than you love Jesus Christ, you are not edifying Christ in what you are doing. And then Satan says, if, if, if what? If you will fall down and worship me. Fall down and worship me. Surrender 
your right as the Son of God. Surrender your right as the King of all kings, Lord of lords, the sovereign Lord of all, and worship me. Why do we find ourselves doing just that so often? We worship at the feet of whatever we want to search up on the internet or pull up on the TV or listen to on Spotify or whatever you listen to. We seek so desperately to be filled with the things of this world that we fall at the feet of those things of this world and worship. What is worship after all? It's giving your time, your attention, your energy, everything in you to that object or person. Are you giving your time, energy, devotion to the things of this world more than you are Jesus Christ himself? Next, we see the pride of life in verses 5 and 6. We read this. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. For it is written, see, Satan knows Scripture. He knows Scripture very well, but twists it to achieve his whims in every moment he can. Here, quoting Psalm 91, 11, and 12, he's twisting the meaning of those verses in the passage and the context in which it is given about trusting God to justify testing him. See, Satan is trying to, to show through Christ that, oh, you, you trust God, therefore test him. Test him. Prove that he will do as he promises he will do in your life. No, no. That's not what faith is. Faith is trusting in God, trusting in the person of Jesus Christ alone, and then living the life that God has set before you to live trusting that he will guide every step, every way you step, every pathway you walk down, every door you walk through. It is by his sovereign decree, but that you trust him every step of the way. See, I saw this so often in South Asia. So often the Hindu people with their Hindu gods, in every sense of every way, they would test them every single day. Every day they would do something where it would test whatever Hindu god they wanted to please that day. See, God has lavishly poured his grace upon you. As we heard this morning, his redemptive grace has been poured upon you once and for all in the person and the sacrifice of Jesus. His graces are poured upon you every new day in every way in your life, every way. Do not test him, trust him. Walk in his way. Live and surrender to him. Satan tempted Adam, didn't he? By twisting what God had said, and he, in turn, did not correct Eve 
when she added to what the Lord had told her. Let's look at Genesis 3. Just to remind ourselves this evening of this original sin. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden, We may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it. God didn't say that. Or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. See, what was this original sin? It wasn't that they ate of the fruit. The original sin at its heart, at its core, was Adam and Eve's desire to be God. They didn't trust that God was God. They didn't trust that what he had promised them. As, as, again, as Bailey said this morning, they were perfect. God had created them perfectly that he may be in relation with them, and he was. He walked with them. He communed with them, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Is it enough for us? See, you're not going to have your best life now. That's not going to happen. But in this walk in sanctification, through your temptations in your life, being obedient to God, you can see Christ in his fullness and who he is for you, knowing fully that one day, one day, that day is coming when you will no longer have to face temptations, you will no longer have to face sorrow, failure, sin in your life for you will commune with God just as Adam and Eve did before they entered sin into this world. Satan is doing the same thing here with Jesus, quoting scripture selectively and not be balancing it rather with the rest of the Old Testament teachings on subjects such as putting God to the test, true worship, and how the Lord sustains his people this is why we must, anytime we read God's word, this is why anytime we preach God's word, it won't be a verse here or a verse there. It will be held in the context of those verses around it. We must read God's word in the same manner. When you read God's word, read the entire chapter. Read chapters if you, if you must to gain a proper understanding of what God desires to communicate to you in this moment concerning who he is and who he desires you to be in him. See, to properly know God, we must know his word. But he's given us every opportunity to know him in giving us his word. 
We are at war. We are at war, not with this world and its inhabitants. Let's look at Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul here talking about how we are to fight in this life, in this new life in Christ. He gives us our hope in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So you understand that you and you alone, that I and I alone am too weak to fight temptation in my life. I must seek Christ. I must seek him. I must trust him. I must find rest in him that I, might, that I may defeat the battle fought in temptation. Paul goes on in verse 12 to tell us that our struggle, our war, is not against the people of this world. Rather, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a war that is being fought every day in your life. Love world or love God? Devote yourself to world or devote yourself to Jesus Christ? Live as the world would desire you to live. Oh, it is so enticing. Listen, I've been there. I've seen it. I've felt what it's like to fight the fight, to try to get that promotion to get more money in your banking, bank account, knowing, knowing beyond knowing that that will help your family be better. Will we fight for the things of this world beyond fighting for more glory in Jesus Christ? We must recover spiritual life, a life centered upon and trusting in Jesus Christ. John Owen, I'm going to read a few quotes from him, where he points us to do just this. He said, if we are to recover spiritual life, we must come as near as we can to the source of that life and remain there for as long as we are able Christ is the spring of our spiritual life. He is in every way our life. Do we believe that? Do you believe that in your regenerated life, in the life you have in Jesus Christ, that your life cannot exist apart from Christ himself? That's why Psalm, I mean, look, demands to us that we feast upon the word of God. Do you feel in your life that when you go a day without opening the word of God and feasting upon his word that you're going to die? That you're just going to wither away because you haven't feasted on the exact source of sustenance that can make your life worth living? Owen goes on. If you were to consider Christ as God as gl is gloriously re represented to you in him, you would find him the most proper object for divine love. 
that love which is wrought in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, that love which has so much sweetness, complacency, and satisfaction in it, let us remember then to exercise our minds to consider Christ in all the lovely properties of the divine nature and the counsels of God's will involving his love and grace are manifested to us by Christ. There is nothing you will put your eyes on more lovely in this world, not even when you're standing at that altar to say, I do, to your husband or wife. There's nothing more lovely you will set your eyes on in this world even when you have that first son or daughter that most sparkling jewel that can go on your finger or around your neck, there is nothing more marvelous in this world than the person of Jesus Christ. You are in Christ. He is the most marvelous one in your life. And then Owen said, in that we are of a decline of spiritual life, in the performance of our many duties, make every effort to bring spirituality into your duties. In everything you have in this life and every duty God has given you to perform in this life, by all means, bring spirituality into it. Bring the person of Christ into it. Bring your trust in Christ into it. Bring your faith in Christ into it. Because when we do, the object of our duties in this world will be glorification of Jesus Christ and not this world. It will be pursuant of Jesus Christ and not this world above Christ. It will be Christ all in all through all to his glory above all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this truth. Lord, that we see in your word that you have given us the example, Jesus, in your word that you were tempted as we are tempted and will be tempted in this life, in this life, in this walk of sanctification being made more like you. I pray, Lord God, and I pray that it be each of our prayer that in every duty of our life that we introduce you into it, Jesus, that you are our all in all in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.